Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to the Healthcare Whisperer radio show. Uh, I'm your host, Hari Kulsa, and I'm so happy that you've decided to listen in today. I am a nurse practitioner and patient advocate, and I'm also the president of Healthcare Whisperer, and that is a healthcare navigation and patient advocacy company. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hari K, H-A-R-I-K-108, and on Facebook at Healthcare Whisperer. You can also go to my website at www.healthcarewhisperer.com. Uh, you know, I've got to say those things. Uh, you know, the purpose of the show is to provide information and tips uh, on how to better navigate the healthcare system. And, the, you know, it's a, it can be daunting, scary, and filled with so many barriers and pitfalls. So this show is here to help you, to give you lots of information and tips. Before we bring on our wonderful guest, I, want, I would like to send my prayers and love to the people of Oklahoma City and Moore, the city of Moore. Uh, it's just so hard to imagine the pain and suffering that everyone is going through. It seems like I just was talking about Boston, and now here we are talking about this incredible devastation. Um, if you would like to help, uh, send donations to the American Red Cross, and that's www.redcross.org. There's also, you can call 1-800-HELP-NOW, and there's also the Oklahoma, no, the o, it's OK Strong Disaster Relief Fund. So uh, I encourage everyone, because we are a great nation that helps each other. Uh, I'm, like, really excited about this show today because we have an absolutely incredible guest. Uh, her name is uh, uh, Heather Long, and uh, she has an amazing uh, story to tell. Today's, uh, we're going to be talking about a child's rare and undiagnosed illness, and her journey is, is pretty amazing. Um, it's a story of courage, love, and determination. Um, not just to help her child, and she'll tell that story and his passing, uh, to helping others not to have to to lighten the load, if possible, for those who are going what through she's gone through. I, I'm in awe at her work. Uh, she's currently doing an amazing thing by working on getting a bill passed, and we're going to talk all about that. Uh, later in the show, Mary Elizabeth Parker um, uh, and also, I've got to say, Heather Long is the co-founder of URR Hope, which is an, uh, a group that helps people who are in the situation of undiagnosed and rare illnesses. And she's a co-founder with Mary Elizabeth Parker, who will be on later. And then Katia Moritz will be on. Uh, she's making a documentary called Undiagnosed, The Journey of the Unknown. So this is going to be a pretty wonderful show. So with with Without further ado, and with great joy, I welcome Heather. So, Heather, are you there? I am here. Thanks for having oh. me. Oh, thank you so much. It's, oh, I feel very lucky to have you. Your story is pretty amazing. Why don't we start by, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on with, you know, in regards to your son, Cal? Well, um, I... I don't know. There's not much to tell about me. I'm from Austin, Texas, originally, and I've been married for <laughs> you know, I've been married for 15 years. I have three wonderful children: one who's 14, uh, my daughter Graham, and then my son Cal, who passed away six years ago, and then our youngest Holland, who is four years old. Um, so I stay pretty busy with them, but um, it wasn't really until we had our son Cal, and we got kind of thrust into this uh, undiagnosed journey that uh, I really started, I don't know, he took me so far out of my comfort zone that I would, you know, before him I was pretty happy just being, um, you know, just in that 
unknown, just doing my own thing or whatever. But he, you know, he was such a great little spirit and everything that he went through, the strengths that he showed throughout, you know, I like to call it a silent strength because at one point he lost his ability to communicate verbally with us, but he always stayed strong. So I just figured out, you know, if he could do it, I can do it. And there's a reason why we went through this and, He's the one that set me on my path and put me, you know, in places in front of the public, speaking to people, advocating for other people like him, which, like I said, is so far out of my comfort zone that it's <laughs> unreal. Um, so, so what happened? He, he was he. Did he develop an illness? Did it, it over time? Was it born? Was it something you kind of went to the to the doctor and said he doesn't look good? Well, I mean, he seemed what, to be fine. He, I mean, I had a normal pregnancy. He seemed to be fine. Um, he was a nice, healthy baby when he was born. Um, in retrospect, you know, I didn't think any, any, anything of it at the time, but he was always really hungry. It seemed, it seemed like I was nursing him around the clock, and I had to put him on cereal sooner than anticipated just to keep him, you know, to keep him uh, satisfied. But I thought that was because he was a big baby, you know, a big growing boy, um, uh-huh. nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't until he started um, trying to walk and get around and everything that we noticed that he was a little bit clumsy. He seemed to fall over pretty easily. Um, but, again, the doctor told me not to worry about it because he was a big baby and he was just off balance. Uh, uh-huh. So he was about a year old when he started. Yeah, he was about a year old, like, eighteen months old or so, something like that. But I just wasn't really, I wasn't convinced that I should be okay with what I was seeing. I mean, something in my my mommy instinct was telling me something wasn't right. Uh-huh. Um, but I was told not to try to compare him to his older sister, who was an er, you know who did everything early and. Um, so the doctor kept telling me you can't compare Cal to you know to your daughter, the boys develop, you know, slower than girls and so on and so forth. But I just had this That's a nag. good one. That's huh? a good one. That's a good one. Boys develop slower than girls. That's a good one. <laughs> right, you know, but I, I have to say, as a mom, you need to be able to listen to your, your instincts. God gave yep. you those mommy instincts for a reason. Right, You know, and that's right, to protect exactly. and care for your young. And so it just wasn't sitting well with me so then I about 18 months old almost two years old I took him to um, get an evaluation by an occupational therapist a physical therapist and a speech therapist and they I can tell you when I got their report it was like a blow to the gut because they told me that he had global developmental delays about you know uh, he had the abilities of a year old uh, a child that would be a year old and he was almost two Oh, my goodness, that must have been heart-wrenching. It was, because I was like, why, you know, it confirmed what I felt, but it didn't make me feel any better. You know, it was like, so I started trying to figure out what was going on with him. Um, and I'll, they they told me he had ataxia, you know, and uh-huh. I was like, okay, well, what the hell is ataxia? You know, so I started researching. I was like, well, that doesn't really tell me anything because that's like saying somebody has a fever. You know, what's right, causing right, right. the ataxia was my concern. So I, I just kind of told my pediatrician, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to let me, you're going to refer me to a neurologist so I can find out what's causing the global hypotonia was one of the other things the therapist told me he had. Mm-hmm. And again, being a mom, you know, I have never been. It, subjected to any of these terms or anything, I started doing all the research and reading and everything, and we went to the neurologist. He ordered an MRI, and um, they told me that the MRI was normal. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. If his MRI is normal, then why are we seeing all of these mm-hmm. other things that are related to his neurological system? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept pressing. I took him to a geneticist, and they ran some tests. You know, and all the tests started, you know, came back normal or within normal limits or negative. You know, I'm thinking this is making me crazy because nobody's like nobody can tell me why he's doing these things. But at that time, they just his health didn't seem to be at risk. It just seemed that he was clumsy. He had low muscle tone. I was okay with that. I was like, okay, we can deal with this. We can get him therapy. We can. He can still have a normal life. We're good. Because he cognizantly he was okay, 
I right, could give right. him directions, he was, he and he verbal. could follow yes. complex directions. Uh-huh. And, and nobody, and all these people you were going to, you know, the, the neurologists, they're saying, well, there's really nothing here, right? I mean, that's right. sort of the response you were getting. Well, you know, kind of, conde- almost condescendingly, well, you know, it's, he's, this is just who he is. You right, know, this, is just your, this is just Cal. And the, the geneticist that I met with in Austin said, well, he has kind of dysmorphic features. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> My baby's beautiful. What do you mean he's got dysmorphic features? Is that I like wanted being, to say, like, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> is that like Mr. Spock or something? You know, is that what you're talking dysmorphic about? Features. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh, dear. Oh dear! Um, you so, yeah, know, yeah, I, nothing. So, so you, so here you are thinking, okay, my son is um, clumsy. He can respond to us. He seems to have intelligence. Right. Um, he know, was drooling and, a lot, and originally the drooling they attributed to teething. But after he got his teeth, he still continued the drooling, and he had a trouble um, eating, chewing. You know, coordinating his chewing and uh, using his tongue to move the food back and. They just said that that was part of his low muscle tone and and coordination issues. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, we can wow. still deal with this. Um, then so looking year, back, lo- looking back at all those little symptoms, I mean, it's profound. You know, when you look back, and of course we can, you know, in hindsight, but that no one, like, was putting this all sort of together. No, you know, they that, weren't. They didn't seem to be, they did not have a sense of urgency about it. It was just matter of fact, you know, I'll see you again in, you know, three to six months on a follow-up. We'll run some more tests, you know, that sort of thing. And I still wasn't, I still was not convinced. I still was like, you know what, there's just something here and nobody's giving me the answers that I need or want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right, right, right. Because you wanted to be able to help him. You wanted I wanted to be able to, to, be able to help him. I wanted to be able to understand what was causing the signs and symptoms that I was seeing. I wasn't okay with just treating them. Right. I wanted right, to know right, what right. was causing them. And about a year later, I pushed the issue with the neurologist and got a, a referral to a neuromuscular specialist in Houston. And mind you, this is a year later from the original MRI. I took those same MRIs up to Houston with me and had the neuromuscular specialist look at them. He looked at the films, and he's like, uh, this is anything but normal. Oh, my God. He, he said, your son has uh, cerebral atrophy. You know, oh. he, said it, he said it's not a lot, you know, he said it's not profound, but there is atrophy there. And he said, and there's some question as to whether or not there's signals going from, you know, one side of the brain to the other. So then he wanted to do a nerve conduction study. He wanted to do a muscle biopsy. He wanted to run some other tests. And you can imagine, when I heard him say this MRI is anything but normal, my my world just started spinning. I was like, oh, my God. So for the last year, he's had an abnormal MRI, and I didn't didn't have the wherewithal to know any different. Right. How would you? I mean, it looks like something you need to color when you get those, you know, those those MRIs. Right. We have no sense. Yeah. Right, and you have to depend upon the experts to be telling you what, you know, to read those MRIs and give you that result because as a as a patient or as a caregiver, that's all you have to go on are those reports. And so I found out that he had atrophy, um, and then I took him to, um, in the same time period, I took him to a neurodevelop um, a uh, pediatric developmental specialist in San Antonio, and she did a series of tests on him and then diagnosed him with extrapyramidal cerebral palsy. Oh, oh sort of a uh, global diagnosis. Right, and I'm like, okay, so cerebral palsy, that's something we can hang our hat on. That's something we can, you know, work with. But then again, I started reading about that particular type of cerebral palsy, and it's related to um, hypoxia at birth. A hypoxic uh-huh. at birth, and it's a it's a deep seated injury to the brain. And I was like, wait a minute, nothing like that happened to my knowledge, you know. And his right, MRI right. didn't show any focal abnormality, you know, no right, type right. of brain damage or brain, you know, nothing. Something, and well, this still doesn't make sense. But at the time, she felt like, like, you know, she was doing her best, and she felt like that was the diagnosis for him because of the way he was presenting his 
choreoacetoic movements, his global hypotonia, his his drooling, you know, and also with that type of CP, you know, intelligence is usually preserved, and she could clearly see that my son had intelligence. Um, right, so here you are. I mean, what what is amazing to me listening to you, even, and we're not even, you know, we're like halfway you know, through it, is that you had to become aware of the words that, I mean, you're talking very, I mean, you understand things now, but the oh, learning curve for you to understand what it really meant must have mm-hmm. been profound. I mean, you must have spent hours on the computer trying to figure out what this was all about. I did. When he was sleeping or when he was being, you know, if somebody else was watching him, every moment that I had, I was researching. I bought a medical dictionary. I picked up a copy of, you know, Gray's Anatomy's book. I was doing research on the Internet, researching everything I possibly could. And literally, because everything they told me, I'd do research, and then I'd come up with a handful of other questions. And they say, now, you shouldn't believe everything you read, right? I mean, I right, get Right, but I, I feel like I have the intelligence to know and to be able right, to decipher right. and figure out what's fact from fiction and what I need to clarify with the doctors. Not everybody right. has that ability to do that, and that's why, you know, they need the help. And I feel blessed that I had the ability to understand what I was reading, you know, and to yeah, grasp uh-huh. and you know, figure it out and be able to take care of my son on a, a totally different level. But I literally had to become a PT, an OT, a speech, you know, a speech therapist, a nurse, you know, everything mm-hmm. to him. And at times it was so difficult because I was less of a mom and more of a medical, you know, a, a caregiver. Right, you know? right, right. You. It was full time work for you. I mean, it, and how can you not? You're, you know, you're the mother, and and so so this be, continued to progress. I mean, even though mm-hmm. you were getting these diagnoses, things started to continue to progress that didn't fit in with what they were telling you, right? Is no, that it didn't fit in at all because shortly after we got the di- he was three years old when they di- when he was diagnosed with extrapyramidal cerebral palsy. And mind you, we were doing therapy three times a week, and I was giving him everything that I was told that I needed to give him, um, but he was getting worse. At three, shortly after that diagnosis of CP, he started vomiting. And, I, I mean, just vomiting of, 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 for no reason, not a stomach bug. The first time it happened, I thought he was car sick um, because yeah. we, were, we had been driving. But then he started doing it regularly, and I'm thinking, what in the heck? Yeah, I mean, he yeah, that's, part, yeah just vomiting and i took him to i took him to a uh you know a gastroenterologist and she tried to tell me it was because he's constipated and i'm thinking <laughs> well no that's not that's not true because i'm pretty sure my my son is having bowel movements um uh but and again it just didn't make sense and so she said well let's put him on some you know medications to stimulate the his gut oh, and his gosh. the movement of his bowels and also his food intake was starting to slow down it's like he was down to certain consistencies and only certain foods that he would eat. I mean, mm-hmm. oatmeal, bananas, things. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. by this time, he was also getting pretty thin. I mean, he was growing very tall, but he was getting very thin. And it was worried me because I could see his bones. You know, I was like, okay, this is not right. He's vomiting. Mm-hmm. His intake's getting less. This is this is not good so they put we were really concentrating on feeding therapy to try to get him to eat more and um the general the gastroenterologist wanted me to put him on medication to increase his appetite and i told her that i wasn't going to do it because his appetite wasn't the problem he was start he was he was hungry all the time he, would he was malnourished from, it sounds like yeah he would come home from you know, whatever we were doing, and literally stand by me in front of the refrigerator or in front of the stove watching me cook food. Or he would go get, he was eating all the time, and it was just like he couldn't stay, he just couldn't get satisfied. Um, so I kept telling him that that wasn't right. So they, you know, the it just, it was a pretty pretty frustrating to see my son hungry all the time and not being able to gain any weight and I started having panic attacks because I would just look at him and know that he was too thin and, and so was, and nobody and everyone was saying oh it'll be okay or you know I mean there was no one 
no one invested to find out what was really bothering or what 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 these symptoms really meant in when no, you put them all on it, paper. Yeah, and he just um, also one of the things that he would do is he would you know fall down and suffer uh, suffer minor fractures, you know, like little hairline fractures in his the lung in you know, his tibia and in his legs, and I didn't think that was normal either. But um, the major one was when he was four years old, he fell and broke his femur just Aww. on the carpet. Aww. And yeah, I, I yeah. Was, I was like, oh, my God, what child falls on the carpet and broke, breaks their femur? Right, and, that's a real malnourished sign. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. la- you know, I mean, and, and so so here you are with all these incredibly things happen. I mean, symptoms continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. What I mean, and and there must, and so what? And you kept seeking out doctors, and yes, I kept I kept seeking out different specialists. I took him to a geneticist in Houston, at Texas Children's Hospital, thinking because I wasn't happy with the geneticist in Austin, so I took him to Texas Children, thinking that they could offer some, you know, some more help. Um, and they talked about different theories, ran some more tests. You know, by this time, the list of exclusions was was just becoming huge. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a whole mm-hmm. litany of exclusion, exclusions, mm-hmm. but nothing mm-hmm. pointing to tell me what it, you know, what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We had extensive testing, microarray, muscle biopsy, blood work out the yin-yang. I mean, just my, my son was a, you know, a pincushion, and I just, I hated seeing him go through all of this. And sure, sure. And by this time, he had completely lost the ability to speak. You know, he Aww. would, but he could communicate. And again, I have to reassert, his, he was intelligent. He knew what was going on because he was able to compensate by using body movements and, and uh, different sounds to communicate what he needed from us or what he wanted. And he could watch his favorite shows were Finding Nemo. I swear to God, I think we watched Find, Finding Nemo over two, three hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> and he That's knew a good it. one to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, he knew it so well that when we were at Austin Children's Hospital in the emergency room one day, they didn't have the English version of Finding Nemo. They only had the Spanish version of it available. <laughs> So they put but that he, on, and I swear to God, the kid laughed at the exact same places, even though it was in Spanish. Oh, that's so wonderful! I mean, he yeah, knew when, it. Yeah, it's, yeah, he did. It's ironic. It's ironic that he loved uh, Finding Nemo, and of course, Nemo had um, the disability, and he had an overbearing father. You know, so my husband would always tell me, "Don't Nemo him to death." You know? oh. <laughs> But um, you know, as it went along, did um, did you ever get a diagnosis before his passing, or no. was that no? No, we didn't. No. He he. Um, let's see. He shortly after he uh, broke his leg. You know, that's when his feeding became really bad um, because he was in a he was placed in a spica cast for about six weeks, I believe, and that was a cast from his waist down to his low, below his knees to keep that hip immobilized. And that was that was very traumatic for him, and his food intake greatly decreased at that point, so much to the point where after he got out of the spica cast, I took him into the emergency room because he was dehydrated. You know, I knew he was dehydrated, and I told them when I was in there I was not leaving until I got a you know got his GI doctor down there and they agreed to put a G tube in mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he wasn't getting enough nutrition you know orally and so I wanted to put the G tube in so that he could start getting nutrition right right and so we ended up in the hospital about 3 weeks for that um because they did a fundoplication to help him with the vomiting um, but even even then, after they did the fundo, he would just retch constantly, and the oh, feeding was geez. difficult. Um, he wouldn't. Um, he just never. He never recovered after the the uh, femur fracture. He just never was himself again, and that's really when I associate his his decline. And um, that was like December of December of. 05 and by December of 06 he was he was gone. So well, well and um, I you know I want to you know I'm 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 so sorry that you 
that you you know that this happened it's it's you know you you worked very hard to find an answer for your son yeah and every, and every time we turned around it was something new as soon as we got out of the hospital you know and around, that was in may when the fracture happened in july shortly thereafter he started having seizures oh gosh it never ended it never ended and i'll never forget it because we pulled up to his physical therapy place in austin and i looked back and i was like holy crap he's seizing oh. and I, he had never done that before and that was the that scared the bejesus out of me i was like holy, sure. what do i do so i took him into the therapy clinic where his physical therapist and everybody were, and um, we just watched him for a while, and shortly after he had another seizure, and so we called the we called the paramedics and had them come in, and so to this day they still couldn't tell me why he started having seizures or what was causing them, and they couldn't really control them. We tried theories of medications and everything, and I mean he just I literally he just started going downhill and. Um, it got to a point where he was on so many medications, I wasn't sure what was medication and what was cow. Oh, jeez. I mean, I I just can't imagine. Um, just real quick, I want to tell our yeah. listeners out there that you can call in at 805-830-8363 if you have any questions or you just want to uh, talk, you know, uh, please call in. Um, so you... You know, again, the the sadness of your of, of losing Cal left you. I mean, that must have been. Uh, I can't imagine that. And what? I mean, how did you? I mean, it's amazing because you've taken his this journey that you went on and the sadness and and created such. You know, you've propelled yourself to not let anybody else help anyone who was also going through this. Well, you're right. So, when I was on my journey, it, it, the the whole undiagnosed um, issue became very apparent. Um, his neuromuscular specialist told me that he's only able to diagnose between 40 to 60 percent of the children he sees within his practice. At the genetics clinic in Houston, the genetics counselor told me that they're only able to diagnose 50 percent of the kids they see and on their website, they purport that they see over 3,000 families a year. But yet they can, and that's through no fault. I mean, I, when I say that, you know, there's reasons why children can't be diagnosed. And, you know, it's, it's most likely because it's a rare disease or it has, you know, it has, it's an unidentified one. But it just hit me. At that point, I was like, oh, my God, there's this issue of undiagnosed. Before I had taken it for granted that there was a diagnosis for everything. And I remember right, thinking right. to myself, oh, great, I'm one of the lucky ones. My kid is to be the one that can't have a diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> it's like I'm, you know, I was kind of ticked off at that. I was like, why do why do we have to fall in, within those statistics? You know, why can't we be lucky and have a diagnosis? And as odd as that sounds, I wish I could say Cal had cancer or Cal had, you know, leukemia or he had, Something, something mm-hmm. that I could pin my hat on, you know, hang my coat on to give me mm-hmm. some sort of comfort or some closure to know what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And coupling that, making it even more difficult for me to um, swallow was the fact that Cal's doctors did not have the ability to network with each other. And I didn't have – if I – I could not believe that my son was the only child on God's green earth that exhibited the symptoms and signs and presented the way he did. I couldn't believe mm-hmm. he was the only one. It's like, surely right, there's other right. kids, maybe even adults out there with this. But because there was no network, there was no way for them to find other colleagues handling similar cases, it created a huge barrier to his diagnosis, and it prevented us from giving him timely and appropriate care. And, again, I stress it's no, through no fault of these doctors, um, but even you know, they would tell me that the way they could, the, only, the best way they could handle it was to mention my son's case at a, at a conference or whatever. And I'm like, that's not good enough. He doesn't have that kind of time. Right, you know, right, right, right. That was the biggest so- frustration, and so... 
after Cal passed away, he passed December 13th of 06, this little old lady came up to me at our church and said, you know, everything happens for a reason, and this is God's plan. And I looked at her, and I was like, okay, you're so lucky you're in church right now. Oh, right, you know? right. And there's witnesses. <laughs> um, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. If, in retrospect, if it hadn't been for what I went through with him, I wouldn't have known about the undiagnosed issue, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So how did you find out about that? I mean, you, you you know, like you said, oh, I'm the one who didn't get a diagnosis. How did you discover that you were not alone? Um, just, but, well, for the statistics, you know, led me to believe that there's other people out there, so I started researching undiagnosed. And at that time, I came across a group called SWAN USA. Um, it stands for Syndromes Without a Name, and Amy Clugston is the president, um, and she she has this support group, her nonprofit organization, helping families who have children who are undiagnosed. Uh-huh. And so I started talking with her regularly, and at that time, I agreed to join the board to help with the mission, and that was, in, ironically enough, how I met Mary Elizabeth. And uh, it was on a board meeting, a teleconference at one point, and we were introducing ourselves, and Mary Elizabeth said, Hi, I'm Mary Elizabeth. I'm from Austin, Texas. And I'm like, What? Because I was in Austin, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh-huh. so uh, I had never met Mary Elizabeth, but she worked at the same physical therapy clinic that my son attended. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like small world becoming a lot smaller. Um, right, and, and so that was a moment for you when you realized mm-hmm. that there were people even within your own world, you know, in your own town that mm-hmm. were aware of the, of of this of, of these kind of issues or this kind of mm-hmm. journey and and the intensity that it is and the loneliness mm-hmm. that it causes. It is. It does cause an extreme amount of loneliness. And like I said before, for a parent to not have a diagnosis that they can wrap their brains around, you have no plan of attack. If you don't know what you're fighting, how do you know how to fight it? How do you know what to do? I just felt like I was trying to slay a dragon in the dark. And... um I just, I was so frustrated, and so I felt like I had a lot to offer other parents who had children who were undiagnosed. I didn't have anybody when I was going through this, when my family and I were going through this, because nobody had ever heard of it. And when Uh people would ask me, what does he have, I'd say, well, we don't know. He's undiagnosed. And then the dialogue went, well, what do you mean he's undiagnosed? Well, he's not diagnosed. Nobody can tell me what this is. And I didn't want people to have to to go through what we did. You know, we, I felt like I was setting, I was set to sail without a map and no way to navigate. And it's an extremely lonely place. It's extre- it's hard emotionally, physically, financially. It put a whole strain on our marriage. My marriage to my husband. There were times where he'd come up to the hospital and go, "Hi, my name is Cody. I'm your husband." You know, oh. because I was living at the <laughs> hospital. And he was at home raising our daughter. Oh. But that's just, that's how it started. I was like, I don't want another family to go through what I did. Mm -hmm. I want Mm -hmm. to be able to help these people. And um, it's been a learning experience. I I learn something new every day. I'm far from perfect at it. I don't know everything. But I'm going to do my damnedest to try to help as much as I possibly can. So one of the things that you've done to help, I mean, there's many things, and um, one of the things is you, you and Mary, you were involved in, in, in founding uh, You Are Our Hope, mm-hmm. uh, an organization that also helps people on uh, when they when they can't find a diagnosis. Right. Um, so how how did that come about? I mean, that's that. Well, like that, I, I said, know, we we met through the board of. You know, as being on the board of SWAN together, uh, along with Uh um, another lady by the name of Jennifer. And we realized that the three of us were in Austin. And we're like, well, this is crazy. So we decided to form You Are Our Hope. And Uh um, so we just became like the three musketeers and uh, started this support group. Mary Elizabeth has been more active with it as far as the organization of the of the group and meetings with meetings for patients and everything and I have been focused on 
advocacy and legislative, you know, advocating legislatively and any way I can. Um, so she's been invaluable. She's definitely a partner in crime, and I think we're starting to make a dent. We're starting to. I think you are. Yeah. Clarence. I mean, I think the work that you're doing. I mean, it, it, there are so many people out there. As, as an advocate in my business, I get calls from parents and adults. You know, I've got. The, I no one can tell me what I have. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a story I hear a lot. And it was through, though, you know, uh, a client that both uh, Mariel and I are working on together that we were able, you know, that I met and realized also that the extent at which this occurs uh, for people and how, how it, and a point you made earlier that I want to bring up is that doctors, either they, they don't, talk to each other or they don't know how to talk to each other or they don't know how to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, I had someone on who uh, had a rare uh, skin, uh, M- Michelle Rosenthal. She now does a lot of PTSD, but she had a rare skin uh, when she was a teenager, uh, a skin disease that no one could diagnose that was just basically, it was like her body was on fire and no mm-hmm. one, you know, she was in the hospital. Well, it was just one doctor who happened to have read about the symptoms somewhere in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in, a, in a book, and it saved her life. Exactly, it absolutely because... saved her life. So it, but it, it just was a per chance moment, and right. that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, maybe there might have been some doctor who walked by and said, <laughs> um, you know, oh, I've seen this. I know what this is. Let's do this one test, or maybe right. there is you no know, test. There's... There are, and again, when I when I started out, I was focused on undiagnosed, and then it, through my research and talking and networking, um, I I started realizing that undiagnosed and rare disease go hand in hand. Um, to illustrate this point, there's over seven thousand known rare diseases. There's no, for one, it's not possible for every physician to be familiar with all of those rare diseases, um, and then. Compounding that, a recent report that was done by Shire in April, Shire Pharmaceuticals, they did a survey, and one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that, on average, it takes a patient in the United States seven-plus years to get a diagnosis with a rare disease. Uh, and, and, and that's a years. very long time when it's a disease that can that that can be terminal if not if not treated with a specific kind of you know uh uh whatever treatment or a rare treatment you know i mean oh, and like so how he didn't have, have that time i Cal's think we've got mary elizabeth it. here let me see okay. if this is mary and i know that cut oh let's see well, well and you know while i have you know then also too about mary elizabeth is that you i'm here Hello. Hi. So, hey, lady. We now have Mary Elizabeth. I hope you've been following our discussion. We're just coming oh, into talking about, um, you know, I just uh, we were talking about the rare diseases, and uh, Heather just mentioned how there was, you know, it could take se- the average is what seven years some- to get a diagnosis for a rare illness. Yeah, she's certain. I, I think Heather, did you have a little bit more on that? I think you did, and I, I can sit and wait. Yeah, it's 7,000 rare diseases, and it, on average, this study by Shire revealed that it takes seven-plus years for a patient to be diagnosed with the rare disease. And I, they told me that Cal most likely had a very rare metabolic disease that either they didn't know about or they couldn't die. It just hadn't been identified yet. So, um, you know, it, and there's a lot of people like that, and... Without the ability, and this is kind of how this the network that I envisioned came about, if doctors can't collaborate with each other and they can't compare notes, then, you know, it kind of forestalls that, it makes that diagnosis such a lengthy process. Um, if my doctor and, you know, his, his uh, primary care physician, Dr. Molina in Austin, was fantastic. He wanted to do whatever he could. But, again, there wasn't really any way for him to network with colleagues to compare notes or whatnot and, or to get information about different rare, you know, t- different rare diseases. I mean, let's face it, they are only human. They can only do so much. And so my goal is to help our physicians, do whatever I can to help them, and at the same time help patients 
like my son, adults who are suffering from an undiagnosed disease, because I believe that these people that are undiagnosed have a rare disease that just they need help and the you know and right uh, right. So one thing you are doing, and then I'm going to Katya, then I'm going to bring Katya on, who I see is on hold here, um, who's doing the documentary. But one thing, uh, audience out there, that you have to know that Heather's been instrumental in doing, which is an amazing feat in itself, is getting a uh, a law. Um, now I just read now they've changed it to a, a house uh, for the House 1591. They yes, it, it, yeah. it was proposed in um, the current session. The bill number is uh, House H.R. 1591, and it's named for my son. It's the Cal Undiagnosed Diseases Research and Collaboration Network Act. And this is my third session to have this bill introduced. It was proposed by John Carter from Texas. Um, and we started this back in 2008 um, because of the, I had the, not, the notion of this network and I wanted to, you know, go, you know, go all the way up. I, you know, I just like shoot for the top and see what happens. So I thought federal legislation was the for, you know, the highest that I could go. And I contacted John Carter and Representative Carter and um, told him what I wanted or what my idea was and why I need, why I wanted it. And I got, a real, I got an immediate response from his office. And I was like, wow, that's, oh, that's amazing. Great. Can you imagine yeah. a, legisl- you know, a legislator responding that quick? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. well... It you've, wasn't got some pretty until... heavy hit, you've got some pretty heavy hitters here. You've got Peter King from New York also sponsoring, co-sponsoring the bill, which is pretty good. I mean, you've got some good, you know, congressmen um, mm-hmm. who and congresswomen who are uh, and and wrangle. So that that this is good. I mean, and and so one, well, let me bring Katya on so she can get part of the conversation, um, and we'll we'll go more into this bill. Okay. okay. Hi, Katya. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good, thank you. We're just discussing the um, uh, bill uh, that uh, Heather has been instrumental, and I know everyone who's on the phone is wanting, you know, this is a, could be a very powerful uh, legislation if we can get it passed. So, Heather, why don't you go uh, spend a few more minutes telling us, because I did, I did download it, and it's quite an amazing Bill, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Okay. Well, basically, um, Cal's bill would require the NI. Um, sorry, it would require the creation of a uh, network, a collaboration network for physicians who are handling undiagnosed um, diseases. It would provide them with the means to search for similar cases of undiagnosed diseases, um, thereby facilitating the collabor- collaboration amongst those physicians that are handling those similar cases in order to find a diagnosis or at a minimum at least improve the patient care and outcomes. Um, you know, and it would also facilitate um, the collection of information on undiagnosed cases so that we can start studying them to figure out what are the barriers to diagnosis. And um, it also would benefit the rare disease community because it would give them invaluable information as to, again, barriers to diagnosis, what is keeping patients from being able to get diag- ultimately diagnosed with a rare disease. Um, but right now it's in the House Subcommittee of Health, um, and, uh, you know, basically it, that's, that's where it's at. It, legislative right. process is uh, a really good friend of mine in D.C., Jen Bernstein, told me, you know, making laws is like making sausage. You really don't want to see how it's done. Um, right, but one thing <laughs> I can say, one thing I can say is, for everyone who's listening, you we need the only way laws do get passed is through pressure, is through yeah, people exactly. pressure. And everybody needs, you know, that the law is uh house HR fifteen ninety one. And it is you you call, write, tweet, whatever you need to do that you want this bill passed and you want it pushed through. And that's the only way you're gonna get you know, that is the way that things get done in Washington if there's a lot of pressure and you know it's amazing what gets through this is so needed you know this is such an important bill so i would encourage everyone um to 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 call their congressman congresswoman their you know eventually hopefully you'll get to the senate side 
and um, let them know that this is an important act and why. You know, I see, uh, so, so uh, Heather, it's pretty amazing because people, the other thing people don't realize is how difficult it is to get something like this through. It is. Through, it's- to even get somebody to listen, to write it, to get it, you know, and and, and to continue with it. So, um, it, it's really, you know, uh, a fantastic thing that you've done. I do see that we have someone who might have a question, and then Katya, I'm going to get to you. So hold on, I'm sorry, we have so much no to talk problem. about, in so little time. <laughs> so here, I'm going to see. Um, hello, listener. Uh, hi. Hi. What's your name, please? Um, my name's Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Hannah. Hey, Heather. Oh, you all know each other. We do. Do you have a question? Well, no, I was just calling in. My son's undiagnosed, too, and I met um, Heather through the Internet a few years ago. And um, just as a parent, coming from me being where I am now and to have another parent that's been there, like she said, she didn't have anyone to do that. She just gives so many of us hope, and I don't know how much, like, that really, she really understands that. (laughs) <laughs> because if it were if it wasn't for her, like we wouldn't know that there was something we could do. Like I wouldn't have been to Washington. I wouldn't have known there was a way I could help possibly my son and possibly other families. So Well, yeah. Hannah, that's great because I agree just listening to Heather and listening, you know, to the story of her son and the work that she's done, I'm I I I hear it in her voice, her advocacy. You know, I I bow down to her level of advocacy. You know, I'm going to follow her around, I think, and go to Washington (laughs) with her myself. So, yes, I I, uh, I, I think thank you so much for that. I I know, Heather, I know you appreciate that, right? I do. I do. I'm (laughs) looking around my room to see who the heck she's talking about because. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Just hurt yourself way too much. (laughs) All right. And in light of that, I mean, if you want to stay on the line, you're welcome to, Hannah. Um, But. Katya is doing something I think is going to help your bill as well as help all those people out there who find themselves in situations like uh, Hannah and Heather and Katya. So tell us about your your movie and what motivated you to do it. So I'm really hoping, yes, I'm really hoping that we are going to help Heather's uh, bill. I mean, we are so fascinated by the work she's done, and uh, we really want uh, to help her and help the cause of the undiagnosed patients. Uh, My story is uh, a little bit different. I'm I'm a 46-year-old woman, I'm a, a doctor, a clinical psychologist, and three years ago I became sick. Um, after a very uh, minor endoscopy, I woke up with a syndrome, and I have been undiagnosed for now three years. Um, and uh, I realized that um, I never thought about the undiagnosed population before. I'm an anxiety disorder specialist. I treat people with very, very severe anxiety disorders and been doing this for 22 years. And I never thought that someone would be this sick and not be able to find an answer. And I decided that I couldn't really find a silver lining for uh, what I was going through. And I felt that uh, the thing I like to do most in life is to find ways to help people and to get the message across in a way that we can make a difference. Um, so I decided to go into a whole different, different world. I've never done anything like this before. Like Heather was saying, like she never thought about this before, how she was going to make a big impact. But And she has made an amazing impact and on me as well and, and inspired me to, to really uh, do what I'm doing. And so um, I wrote a documentary, uh, and we are shooting the documentary right now. Um, and the goal of this documentary is to really help uh, uh, the undiagnosed population find an identity um, and, and understand understand um, how to go about navigating uh, the medical system and what is that we need to do um, to help change uh, how medicine has been practiced right now and also um, to help the families like, you know, Heather's family or Hannah's family where children are out there undiagnosed. And, you know, one thing is not to be diagnosed. The other thing is uh, not to know how to care for your sick child. Um, so we are trying to um, bring to light all those different areas that we feel really need to be addressed for both the uh, pediatric and the adult population. Um, we are trying to give uh, people a really good look 
at um, the the patient side of of uh, being undiagnosed, but also the medical system that is unfortunately perpetuating the difficulties in becoming diagnosed. Uh, I myself been to five different centers. Um, I've um, taken time off work, uh, thrown money um, at this as much as I could, uh, done everything in my power um, to find an answer, and I am still undiagnosed almost three years later. Um, I kept on thinking about the families that may not feel so comfortable talking to doctors. Uh, I work in the medical field. I'm very comfortable with them. Uh, they're all colleagues, and I have to tell you, it's a whole different ballgame when you are a patient. And um, I really want to see if uh, the documentary could make a big difference in the lives of the undiagnosed patients, but even more so the way doctors see the undiagnosed patients. Uh, we noticed that uh, a huge trend for the undiagnosed patients is to be diagnosed with a somatic illness uh, or, you know, a psychiatric disorder, even if they don't meet criteria for them for those disorders. And and for the parents to be what 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 Heather was mentioning before, overreactive, overly concerned sometimes, or um, you know, um, uh, uh, not being careful enough with their children. When in reality, they just have very sick children, uh, and they're trying to do the best to care for them and help them. Um, so I think it's really important for for doctors to see uh, what it is to be undiagnosed. But the fact that you are not diagnosed, or your child is not diagnosed, that doesn't mean it's your fault. That doesn't mean that you're not doing something right. That means that either you have a very rare disease or the system is not helping you become diagnosed. Right, right. and I think um, everyone, you know, I mean, I, I think it's a great idea, and, and uh, I I can see how something, you know, I know that, Ledger, you know, congressmen, and Congress, Congress people, I guess I should say, um, mm-hmm. uh, that they, that even though this might be, you know, once you do the documentary, just the snippets from it, you know, parts of it, and can be a really good CD to give them, to give to their age to look at. Mm-hmm. Right, Heather? I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah, how you got to do it. Well, and it's, it's you know, um, I keep go, falling back to that, you know, the Schoolhouse Rock video of how a bill becomes a law. And they really need to update that to include all of the strategies that need to be thought out and employed, lobbyists that need to get involved. Um, you know, you have to, for in my experience, you have to address your issue to, in my case, a health care legislative aid and hope that they find it relevant enough to present to their representative um, and then you have to hope that the representative takes an interest in the legislation and wants to co-sponsor it and help make sure that it makes it through. Um, really, the best way to get Congress's attention when you don't have a high, you know, lobbyist at your beck and call, like I don't, um, or right. is to you know get organizations to sign on and support. Uh, you get thousands of advocates calling in and pestering the hell out of their legislate, you know, their representatives. And I, when I say that, I want to remind anybody that's listening that these legislators they work for you. You know, so don't be right. afraid to pick up the phone call and say, "Hey, look, this bill matters to me, and this is why it matters to me." Be respectful, though. You know, don't you know. Mm-hmm. Just, you, you you have to kill them with kindness. You get more you know you get more flies with honey than vinegar. But you know just be persistent. And that's something I had to learn myself is to not be afraid to continuously follow up with them and tell them what you want and why you want it. Um, they've got a lot on their plate. They've got a lot of issues. You know, for example, you know it seems like every legislative session there's been something major going on to that grabs their attention. And so part of this bill being able to get passed is just to get as many co-sponsors on the bill as possible to take an interest in it so that it gets, you know, it's now down in the House subcommittee, but it's got to get a hearing. Um, you know, so, so and another thing is to get media attention. It, it, I can't tell you how many right. media outlets I've tried to call and talk to about, you know, hey, look, my son died, died diagnosed. Undiagnosed. This is an issue. It needs to be. It needs. It needs attention. People need to know about it. Yeah, you know, because I've seen right, far and less I, frivolous yeah, things get media attention. Yeah. 
And I think that's one of the uh, things that we hope to achieve with the, um, you know, the documentary is to mention things like the one what Heather is talking about, the initiatives that are uh, happening out there that people don't know about because it's hard to get the information out. Um, As much as we have so much uh, the media and all the, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, but um, it's very hard to get the people to know about what's happening. So we we do want to get that information now because it's really important. I think the the movement for the undiagnosed have to happen in many levels, and and the government has to know what's happening um, because we we I'm sure that everyone listening to this show is connected somehow to this issue and knows about it. But most people never think about that. I ask people all the time, have you ever thought about what it is to be undiagnosed, what it is to be sick and not have an answer? And and people often say, you know what, this is crazy. I never even thought about it. No, so we need to get people thinking about it. Yeah, in today's society, your diagnosis is your identity. Until you have that identity, you really don't you, you don't have you don't exist in our in our healthcare system. You don't have access to valuable resources and support and or you know, insurance. There, there are great organizations yeah. that help people with cancer or you know, and there are rare disease um organizations out there that are wonderful um and I've become friends with a lot of them because like I said undiagnosed and rare disease go hand in hand we have global genes project which I'm uh, you know, I'm affiliated with so um there's also another organization and I'd be amiss if I didn't mention them but in addition to Swan USA there is also a group called in in need of a diagnosis or INOD for short and we just, the undiagnosed community recently lost a great champion, Marianne Getty, right. the founder Marianne of the Marianne Getty, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was but very she involved in the advocacy recently. movement. Yeah. But, you know, as far as this legislation goes, you know, it's it, it, we need people to call their representatives and tell them that they want, you know, they're up to co-sponsor it and stay on them about it and talk about it and get the awareness okay. out there. So Heather, we're we're kind of running. We're getting close to the end of okay. the show, unfortunately, and it just only means we're going to have to all of you back because this has been a great show. But um, wh- where can they get information about this at your website? About um, where well, to, yeah, about the law, <laughs> or wh- where would you direct them? Well, um, I would direct them. I have a Facebook cause page. It's called um, Project Cal P A Project, and then C A L. Or they can email me at project underscore cal at att dot net. I don't have a website. I know. Oh my gosh, it's like I'm that's probably okay. that's okay. You have a Facebook page. <laughs> with, so with we're trying to raise a family and do this. That's kind of the last thing on my mind. <laughs> and Katya, where can they find out more information? Katya, where can they find out yes. more information about you about the documentary? Yeah. So we have a. Um, uh, you know, website in construction, but um, if people want to contact us, uh, they could go on undiagnosedfilm.com, um, and that's going to be the future website. We can get all the help in the world for this. We started this project out of the goodness of our heart. We're trying to put it all together. Uh, we've been trying to get local, uh, uh, the local community to support us in terms of even helping us with research. Everything that we're doing have to be so well done so we nobody can poke holes on it because for the medical community, we want to present something that is very scientific-based, but also for the population in general, something they could really understand, connect with, and learn from. So right. we are taking volunteers people who want to help us with research eventually we're going to have to fundraise to actually finish the uh, the this movie this film uh and so we can get all the help in the world to make this happen uh and, we are really trying okay. to muscle through people, um the whole thing and uh, okay, also so, um hari they can also go to what you are our hopes website mm-hmm. right, um, right right and it's u.r.hope okay. you are our hope so and that stands for undiagnosed and rare so, um, okay, and I will, there. and I will put that on. I'll put blog it and put it on my website. One and one thing I'd like to uh, commit to you because I think this is an important cause in my work. I see this a lot. I see this this journey that people are on, and I am going to start a Twitter campaign. I have my oh. I'm going to have my social media person, and I have you know quite a few people following me on both Twitter. And Facebook, and um, I want to make that commitment to get this bill, help get this bill 
bill passed. So I will start that as of tomorrow, and I'll just Thank I'm going to send you an email to make sure Heather that I have all the info. We'll do that offline. But um, let's let's get this moving. I mean, if nothing else from this call, I mean it's been a lot. There's been a lot about this on this well, call. Well, and I know we're I know we're short on time, but also Hari, I just wanted to mention throw it out there that you know we have cause ribbons, cause awareness ribbons for almost everything. But you know how do you? I've struggled to find a something that we could use to represent the undiagnosed diseases awareness. And so recently, and I'm going to be posting this information, I came, I came up with the concept for an awareness ribbon for the undiagnosed. And um, so I'm going to be putting that out there and so that there's a symbol for us. Um, All right. So ribbon as soon as you get that. Cancer. Huh? As soon as you get that, because we're really almost done, I'm going to have to uh, – you know, send that to me, and I will. Uh, I will get that out there, and we'll start this campaign to get this bill passed. So I want to thank all of you so much. I know it. I wish we had more time, uh, but we'll do this again. Will you all commit to doing it again? Well, I appreciate <laughs> you giving up the time. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So thank you all so much. I'm sorry that we're over, and. God bless you for both for for all your work, all three of you, <laughs> you. Mary Elizabeth, Heather, and Katia. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless. God bless. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. And thank you, everyone. That's been a great show. Uh, I'm really happy that we all got to do it. So thank you very much. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.